This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Last summer, our pastors brought a message that called us to commit to simplifying the church and to simplifying our church life, and they, and they brought it down to three things. Do you remember what those three things, what they were? We made a commitment last summer, and I think it was in August when we did this, and our commitment was this. Number one, I or we will love God. We said that first. We'll love God. That's our first commitment. Uh, Steve Wise in the sermon that Sunday um, asked us to commit to being as loving God. He said, here's what I'm asking you to commit to. I want you to be a part of, of a regular part of our worship gatherings, to be there every Sunday and, and, uh, and to make a commitment to, to being uh, there for worship because worship is really the ultimate way that we love God. Then secondly, we said we'll love people. Not only we'll love God, but we're going to love one another. Pastor Tom got up and he, he spoke about how we love people by serving them in ministry. And then he led us to make a commitment as partners in our church to find a place on a ministry team and serve. And then number three, we committed by saying, I or we as a church will reach the world. Bernie Staples got up and he said, here's what I want to ask you to commit to doing, church. I want to ask you to commit to finding a connection group here at Nags Head Church. Because small groups are where we build relationships, where we're able to care for one another in the church. And you connect with others, and when you're connected then as a group, then you can go out and reach your world, your community, your neighborhood, and even beyond that. So he asks us to commit to doing mission together and finding some practical actions that show the world who Jesus is. Love God. Love people, reach the world. How many of you were here that Sunday? Do you remember making those commitments? Many of you stood up and said, I'm going to do those three things. That boil down to say, I'm going to worship, I'm going to do ministry, I'm going to connect. Simple things that most of us here stood to our feet and said, I will make those commitments to the Lord and to his family today. So to follow up on last Sunday's State of the Church message, and, and I would, let me say, if you missed it, I hope that you'll go to our website and listen in uh, on the podcast. I'm going to bring home some today some thoughts on following that up on how our vision holds hands with our values. What are values? Well, what do you value? You value the things that you treasure. Those are your values. I met last night. I went to respond to a fire. Um, I don't know, the call came in at what, I guess around 11 o'clock, house on fire in South Nagshead. It became two houses on fire in South Nagshead. And, and a couple was living in the one home, and I met with them after the fire, went up to a neighbor's house where they were, and sat down with them and talked with them. And they got out with literally with the clothes on their backs. That's all they had. They lost every single one of their possessions. Uh, she had her cell phone in her hand, and that was it. They lost all the things they treasure other than their relationships with other people. But all the stuff that they've, all the pictures, all the mementos, all the furniture, all gone. What do you value in life? We value some things here at Nags Head Church. We're going to talk about those this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break those values down into those three categories. Love God, love People reach the world. So if you got your notes, I hope you'll follow along with me. Let's go. Love God. We value number one, and I think maybe this is the highest priority that we have, and that is exalting Christ. Exalting Christ is our priority. Listen to some scriptures that I, that I just a few. There's lots of them, especially if you go to the Psalms, as you can see. Psalm 34.3. Read that with me. Let's read it together. Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. All right? Don't miss the word together there. We are to exalt Christ, but we are to exalt Christ together. Am I to exalt Christ by myself when I'm alone? Absolutely. But the word says we're to exalt Christ together. That's why it's so important that we do what we're doing right now on Sunday morning. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. Now, that doesn't mean I'll eat a turkey and exalt Jesus, okay? I'm not talking about the thanksgiving. I will exalt him by giving him thanks. 
that will please, listen, that will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. What's he saying? Even more than when I give an offering, a sacrifice of something that I value, exalting the Lord brings greater pleasure to the Lord than even that. Psalm 118, verse 28. Read that with me. You are my God. Let's try that again. Read that with me. You are my God, and I will exalt you. We exalt him, why? For no other reason than you are my God. To exalt means to put, what does that mean to exalt? Mean the, Lord, the word means to put up in a higher place. Higher than what? Well, first of all, higher than myself. I exalt you higher than me. I exalt you higher than everyone around me. I exalt you higher than those that I love because I love you most of all. I exalt you. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and about whom every tongue will confess his lordship. There is no other name worthy of our adoration and our submission. And because this one thing, exalting Christ, is our priority, because that's at the top of the pyramid, if you will, Everything else flows down from our exaltation of Christ. How we exalt Christ really determines everything else that we do as a church, what we value as a church. It starts with that, exalting Jesus Christ. So if we're truly exalting Christ as individuals, if we're truly exalting him together as a church, all the rest of the things that we value will begin to fall into place. All right, what's number the second one? The second one, a value that I want to give you this morning is following Christ closely is our expectation. We expect one another to follow Christ here at Nags Head Church. The expectation of Jesus was that those who have become his sheep in his flock will follow him. That's what he expected. He said it in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice I know them, and they follow me. He did not say, you know, I'm not sure what they're going to do and how they're going to respond and how they're going to react. He said, my sheep know my voice, they listen to my voice, and they follow me. That was Christ's expectation of you and me. That's also our expectation then of one another. And that's not always easy following Christ. And I believe, we talked about some of these things lately, I believe it's going to get harder and harder. Jesus would say that following him will require some things like taking up your cross and follow me, he said. We might paraphrase that this way. Taking up the cross, we might, we might say it this way. I'll follow him if it kills me. Because that's what the cross was, was all about, was death. I'll follow him whatever. That's dedication. He would say following him means denying myself. He said, you've got to deny yourself and follow me. You might hear me say it's this phrase, and we say it a lot around here, and and I think it's a great little way to say it, but it's not about me. And maybe you hear that so much that it becomes trite to you, but that's what a life of self-denial says, isn't it? It's not about me. And that's what we'll expect here at Nagshead Church in 2013 from each other, following Christ closely. If you're a partner in this church, we expect, you expect me to follow Christ, I would think. You would expect our elders to follow Christ, wouldn't you? But likewise, we all expect one another to do the same. Following Christ closely is our expectation. Next, a radical faith and passion for the things of God is our dedication What are we going to be dedicated to in 2013? Another of my catchphrases that you haven't heard, I don't think, this year. I just kind of invented this. You know, it's every now and then preachers do that. We sit around and we think of pithy sayings, you know, that will stick in people's minds and hearts. You know, I didn't invent, it's not about me, but I I, I kind of came up with this one. And, And you'll say, well, that's, gosh, that's so simple. You're not very smart. But you're going to hear me say often this year this phrase, step up and step out. That's about dedication. Step up and step out. Step up to the next level. Step out of the pack. We're going to ask some of you this year to step out of the pack and become leaders. I said a couple of weeks ago that the time for casual Christianity 
in our country is past. There's no, no time to mess around. There's no time to play the church game. Our culture, our society, the times demand that we step up and that we step out and be the real deal, that we be totally dedicated, that we be what we, we, de- we define here, discipleship as being fully devoted followers of Jesus. You're going to be challenged all this year, I promise you, from me, from the other pastors, you're going to be challenged all this year to live a life of doing whatever it takes for Jesus. You know, I wonder if what would happen if here in Nags said church, if every one of us, starting with me, if every one of us had the passion of Paul to go all out. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He said, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Paul said, I look back at my life and all the accolades that I've received, all the awards that people have given me, all the honors that I've been bestowed, all the degrees, all the successes that I've had in my life apart from Christ, he said, I count those things as loss. They don't mean anything because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in, to be a loss in view of the surpassing value, we're talking about values today, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered loss of all things. And you might say, I feel sorry for Paul. Is Paul asking us for sympathy? No. I suffered the loss of all things because of Christ, and I consider those things I've lost filth. I think it's the King James. I like the King James way, the word it uses better. And I'm not going to paraphrase it for you because I think you understand. Paul says, I consider them dung. If you don't know what dung is, ask somebody, and they'll kind of whisper in your ear, and you go, oh. All right, Paul says, I consider them Waste. I consider them filth. Why? So that I may gain Christ. Christ is far more valuable to me, he said, than anything else I've ever had in my life. Another value we're going to have in 2013 here at Nags Head Church. And you say, well, we've always had this. Yeah, but we're going we're to make sure that it's right there in front of us all the time. Worshiping from overflowing hearts. Worshiping from overflowing hearts hearts. Now let let me, we're in a worship gathering here. And some of you are already thinking, what's up with today? We hadn't even sung yet. You know, I was out there having a good time. I usually don't come in until at least three quarters of the way through the first song. We hadn't even started to worship yet. Boy, I hope you have. I hope your life is a life of worship. I hope you don't wait to Sunday morning at 9 a.m. For, cl- for Chris to click off the first song before you say, now it's worship mode, and you press your worship button. Worship begins the moment you wake up in the morning. You know, you have that thought of the, of, of the scriptures that say, says, you know, when you think about that, you say, God, your mercies are new every morning. That's worship. Realizing who God is in your life, who Jesus Christ is in your life. But here's the deal, overflowing heart. Jot this down somewhere. Somewhere, find a space to jot this down. I think this, this is, you know, important to understanding this. If your heart is empty, you can't worship. You ever come to church? Sit through the service? Get up and go home? And kind of have the why did I even bother thought. I didn't get anything out of that. But by the way, let me tell you something. Worship is not so you can get anything. Worship is so you can give everything to him. Worship is about him. It's not about me. If I go to church to worship so I feel good about me, then I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping who? Yourself. And I can't worship if my heart is empty I cannot worship too, you might put a kind of point B under that, I cannot worship if I'm full of myself. If I'm empty, I can't worship, I can't worship if I'm full of me. Worship is overflow. That means you can't go through the motions, and, and 
I've been guilty of this. Um, You can read the words. You can even say the prayers and sing the songs. But if your heart is empty, you can't worship. Because worship comes from hearts that are full. In fact, worship comes from hearts that are more than full. And what spills out, if you can imagine your, 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 your life being this coffee cup, you're, you know, and, and it's right now my coffee cup's almost empty. You can't worship. <laughs> worship is when, it, you know, it overflows. It's spilling out all over. And what spills out of my full life is worship. And the great thing about coming together and worshiping together as a church is that when my worship, because I'm full and I'm worshiping God, and it spills out, guess who it spills out on? Who? The rest of us, yeah, people that are around us. That's why we gather together to worship because some of you came here this morning, and I don't know who you are, and I'm not casting judgment on any individual, but I just know in a group this large, some of you came here this morning either empty or full of yourself. And you need to be around someone else who's overflowing because it needs to spill on you a little bit so that you can begin to understand what you're missing in life, so that you can begin to truly worship the Lord. Because I've experienced that many times in my own life, showing up on Sunday with an empty tank. You're the pastor. You can't show up empty. Oh, yeah, I can. Showing up on Sunday with an empty tank means I probably won't get much out of it. Sometimes we use the word for worship here. We use, we, we, another word we use for worship here is magnification. When you magnify something or someone, what have you done to it? Tell me. When you've magnified something, you've done what, Ellen? You've enlarged it. You've made it bigger, haven't you? Your magnifying glass. You've, and not only that, but you've focused its power. I'm not going to ask how many of you, you guys, when you were little boys, took a magnifying glass outside on a sunny day. You know where I'm going? You're all laughing because you're guilty. Pyromaniacs you are. But we all did that because somebody told us we could. And some of us were so dumb, we said, let me see what it does to my hand. You know? And, ah! I'm not, see, you're laughing because you were dumb and did it too. All right? But magnification focuses the power. It enlarges. And magnification is worship. Mary, when she humbly understood that God had chosen her, she expressed these words of worship in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. You know, these are from the Christmas story. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. What was she doing? She was worshiping. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She couldn't contain it. It wasn't forced. She was overflowing. And she sang this song if it was a song, but she said these words. I think Elizabeth was around her when she did this, and I think it spilled over on Elizabeth. And they had a worship time right there. That should be us. That should be how we approach life because every day is an opportunity to worship because we cannot contain him. A couple of weeks ago in Colossians, remember that verse in chapter 2, Paul said, Christ fills you up. Another value, 2013 Nag said church. We're going to be a church that discovers the word of God, discovers the God of the Bible by reading it. Discovering God by reading his word. Look what Job said. Now, what, you, know, you know Job's story. You know, life wasn't peachy keen for Job. He was going through some tough times. And look what he says here in Job 23, 12. He said, I have treasured, talking about God now, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. More important, Job said, than to sitting down and having a meal when I'm hungry is the word of God in my life. Does your heart reflect Job's heart? Can you say the same thing? You cannot have, if you cannot worship on empty, you cannot have a growing love for God and the things he loves if you don't love his word. 
And I think even if we just read a little bit of it every day, I don't think you have to spend hours a day in the Word. Most of us really don't have the time to do that. But a little bit every day, you'll discover daily who He is and how much He gives you and that He has a plan for your life. I got a call. I was working on my message in my office the other day. In fact, I was right here on this point. And it's how God works. And the phone rang, my cell phone. And I answered it. And the voice was very slow and very halting and unsure of itself. But it was Marilyn Dolly on the phone. Marilyn's suffering. She's having a tough time right now. Those of you that know and love Marilyn, pray for her. She's really, really not doing well. But she wanted to call and just say, Rick, I love you. And then she told me, she says, you know, and she's had a stroke and she's had a fall and had a head injury. And and Marilyn's, you know, way up in her 70s. She's pushing 80 years old and she's not going to get better, you know. But she said, "I, I can't read anymore. I've lost the ability to read. And if you know Marilyn Dolly, Marilyn was in the word of God every day. What a student of the scriptures this woman has been. She said, my my kids are trying to teach me how to read again because I've I've forgotten how to read. But, she said, because I can't read, I listen to the word of God. She's got out tapes, CDs, or something. And she plays the scriptures through some kind of a machine, recorder or player, and she hears, she's not going to say, well, I can't read it anymore. I, I look at the pages and I just can't do it, so forget about it. She's not there. She said, if I can't read, I'm going to listen to it. And so she listens to the word of God. She treasures the word of God more than her, her daily bread, her daily food. That's how much it means to her. How about you? And then here at Nags Head Church, we, we, one of the great things about technology is that we can use it. Some of you, uh, some of you right now are, are you, you, know, you, you use your, your smartphone for your Bible. You got the Bible app on your phone and you just kind of, I was watching Bernie yet the other day. We were doing in our elders retreat and he was, we were, uh, the, you know, us old schoolers, we had our Bibles and not Bernie. Bernie is kind of Mr. Techie and Bernie, you know, He's got all the gadgets, and he was on, the, on his phone reading the scriptures with us, and that's great. Uh, we're going to make use of technology like we have a year ago. We started here in our church having a daily Bible reading that we print up. It's on the counter there at the Welcome Center. If you're not high-tech and you decide so rather have it on paper, it's there for you on paper. But we also put it up every day in our Facebook groups, in our church Facebook group. And all you got to do is go on there. And I do this. I open up, you know, because I get into Facebook and open up in the morning, click on Nags Head Church, and Marie Anderson has so faithfully posted that early in the morning. And I just, all I got to do is click on that link, and it takes me right to the scripture for the day. It's a no-brainer. It's so easy, and it's so convenient. And I love it. So we're going to make sure that we are dedicated to discovering the God of the Bible by reading his word and encouraging you to do that. Then the next one is this, praying as though it makes a difference. We value prayer, and we're going to make sure that we demonstrate that in Nag City Church. Praying as though it makes a difference, because it does. I hope to hear hear of prayers that are being prayed in our congregation for all kinds of different things and different people. I hope through this year to hear your prayers being answered frequently. I hope you'll share when God answers your prayers. I long to see brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we come together and we're hanging out in in the lobby or we're coming in here before the gathering or after the... I long to see brothers and sisters in Christ look over and see in a corner somewhere, see, see a couple people, two or three, bowed in prayer together, praying for each other. Did you know that every great revival that's happened in the history of the church... For 2,000 years, every outbreak of God's spirit that could not be explained, do you know how it started? Every single one of them started with prayer. One great revival that happened in, in New York City back in the 1800s happened because one businessman 
said, at lunchtime, I'm not going to eat, I'm going to pray. And then he started inviting his friends. And before you knew it, in, just in the city of New York, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people at lunchtime were gathering together in their offices and on the park benches and in different places praying. And revival broke out and swept this country. Because one guy said, I'm going to pray for revival in our country. It starts with me. Hope you value prayer. It makes a difference. And maybe the revival will start because you've made that dedication this year. Right? Love God. That's how we love God this year. Secondly, how do we love people? Nothing reflects the heart and the character of God on this earth as much as when we as believers love one another. Jesus said this in the the Gospel of John. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples because you love one another. You love the other disciples. Nothing expresses God's heart because the Bible tells us in 1 John that God is love. God is love and he wants us to love as well. And not only does he want us to love one another, he wants us to love those who don't yet know Christ even when we disagree with them. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling. Love acts. Love sacrifices. The Bible tells us that God is love, and he proved that he is love, not by just saying, I just want everybody to know I just love you all so much. You know, sometimes we think of God as kind of, he's kind of like, um, a lot of you grew up, I didn't, he was after my time, but a lot of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers, you know. That's kind of how God is, you know. At the end of the day, he puts on his, zips up his sweater and takes off his shoes and puts his slippers on and sits down and looks at the world and says, I just love you all. And then doesn't do anything. That's not who God is. God says, I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to give my son to come to the earth and die for you. He demonstrated his love to us. He proved it. So how do we love others? I mean, we have to go and die for somebody? Hmm, I hope not, <laughs> frankly. But, how do we, but there are ways that we prove our love for others. Let's start with this one in 2013. And I think this is important in the times in which we live as a church, that we will love one another by speaking the truth. Scripture tells us that in Ephesians 4.15. Very simply, we will speak the truth in love. Don't take out those last two words. We will speak the truth and speak the truth in love because we love. And you cannot love people and lie to them. How many of you parents remember the first time your precious little one told you a lie? Remember that first time? And it was kind of like, just hit me upside the head with a two-by-four, you know? This child that I've given and brought into this world and I've provided everything in life that he or she needs and I've just poured myself into and love with all my heart, you just now looked at me and told me a bold-faced lie. And you're thinking as mom or dad, he doesn't love me. Why? When we love, we don't deceive. When we love, we don't lie. When we love, we speak the truth. You have to speak the truth, but truth without love, by the way. And sometimes people want to speak the truth, but there's no love as the basis for it. That can be cruel. Our commitment as a church is not to be afraid as a church to say, here's what God says, and it is truth. And he says this because he loves us. He says these things because he doesn't want us to destroy our lives. He puts boundaries around us because he cares about us. Speak the truth in love. Somehow God is both truth and love at the same time. And we're going as a church, we're going to... We're going to seek to be just like him in that, that regard. We're going to speak the truth and we're going to do it in love and let God sort it all out. But that's our commitment. How we do that. A number of ways that we're going to speak the truth. A number of ways we're going to love people. 
Another one is this, because family matters. We will do all we can as a church to support parents as they seek to raise a generation who will know the Lord. I've, I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, but, but it's a different day and a different age than when I grew up. It was very easy for me to understand that God loved me because I had an understanding of who God was because I lived in a culture that that was accepted. People went to church, you know, I went to church and, and I knew there was a God and I knew there was a Jesus and we celebrated Christmas and we celebrated Easter. We don't live in that kind of world anymore. In fact, we live in a world that's trying to, seems like trying to rid us of so much of that, to put all that down and say that's not, not only is that not important, but in some regards that's not allowed You parents who have little ones and you young people who are yet to be parents, I don't envy you. I'm glad I was a parent when I was a parent in the 80s and the 90s, frankly, because I think it was a little bit easier then than it is now. But we as a church, so we're making this commitment. We value as a church family and we're going to do all that we can, parents, to help you Raise your children to know the Lord. If everything in the world is against the family, and it seems like a lot of things are, then the church should be doing everything it can to help the family. Another thing we'll do in speaking the truth in love, we'll continue to tackle needs in our community with both a helping hand and the word of life, especially in the lives of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the abandoned, and the unborn. We've done some things in the past. In the past few years, we've just kind of escalated that, and we'll continue to to value those things. Next Sunday night, about 6 o'clock, a group of homeless folks from our community are going to be brought in to this building in a van, and they're going to be spending the night every night that week here. They're going to set up, you know, mattresses on the floor with blankets and sheets and towels that are provided for them. They're going to sleep here. They're going to eat their meals here that we're providing. You all have volunteered to take care of. When I say we, I don't mean the institution. I mean the the church. We're going to do the things that we've done in the past to meet needs in our community like Operation Backpack as we give away school supplies to children, needy children in our community, and so many other things. That's going to happen this year. We've already talked about, we're talking about ways of of promoting adoption in in the lives of young people and, and families. So there's so much that we want to do. We value that. We'll stand firm. The next one, we'll stand firm in our commitment to marriage and to strengthen marriages in our church and in our community. If you're married, uh, we, we, we believe that's a good thing. And we also believe that's a thing that lasts a lifetime. And we also know that there are many pressures in this world that want to try to separate people in their marriages and pull people apart and end those marriages. And God says, I've put that together. Don't let it be separated. So we're going to do everything we can to strengthen marriages. Now, that's not to say if you're here and you've been in a failed marriage that we don't have anything for you. We're glad you're here. Somebody, somebody asked me a question recently. They said, well, you know, because um, we talked, I think it was in our, in our Discovery Next Day church class, and this, this is a point of what we believe about marriage and the family. And someone said, well, what about divorced people? And I said, you know, if we did a poll right now in this room and asked how many of you have been divorced in this room, about a third of you would raise your hands. And I would hope you would say, and I don't feel unwelcome because of it. And we're, you know, but those of you who are married, we want you to stay married. We want to do whatever we can to strengthen your marriages. And those of you who are unmarried and looking (laughs) to marry, we want to help you out too. We'll do whatever we can do. Maybe one Sunday we'll have the dating game up here. I don't know, but... (laughs) Let me move on here. (laughs) Then the next thing that we have that we value is this. People must and always should 
be above programs. People must and should always be above programs. Uh, People is what matters to God. Programs don't. And and we don't want to be a church that forgets that. There's some churches that, and, and I'm not saying we've never been guilty of this, but some churches that the program is more important than the people. And if you ever suggested ending the program to focus more on the needs of people, you've committed sacrilege. Um, We don't want to make the program more important than the people in the church. Sometimes we can forget that people matter most. And people can in our church, and we know this, people can and have been lost in the busyness of doing ministry. (laughs) You you folks that, that, that poured my coffee this morning, God bless you. I'm able to function today because of you. (laughs) But more important than making that pot of coffee is the person that you hand it to. People above ministry, you folks that come in and sweep the floors and clean the bathrooms and, and empty the trash cans, God bless you. That is so important to our testimony as a church, but more important than those tasks are the people who will be here to use this building and not be turned off because it's not been cared for. It's people that matter more than programs. Let's be ready to drop what we're doing if it means serving someone in need at the moment. So we're going to love God. We're going to love people. Thirdly, how are we going to reach the world? What, what, what matters? What values do we have this year? In that? You know, from Genesis to Revelation, you can see God working to redeem and reconcile us with himself. It started right there in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and God promised them that one day he, the, the, from the seed of the woman, the one would come who would crush Satan's head. And God provided the skins from an animal to cover their sins. Sacrifice was made so that their sins could be covered. God was letting them know, letting the world know, I'm not finished yet. I haven't given up on you yet. I want to redeem you. God's been doing that ever since then. And Jesus' great commission to us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he said, you're going to go into all the world, you disciples, and you're going to make disciples and his Holy Spirit there in the, in, on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, he promised in Acts 1.8, and it happened in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came to the church to give us power to reach this world. But let's not forget the world starts right outside those doors. You walk through those doors, you're in the world. And that's where it begins, how we do that. Here's one of our values. We will keep our doors and our hearts open to all who want and need to hear the gospel and we'll be sensitive to God's direction and ministry. Keep our doors open to all who want and need to hear the gospel and be sensitive to God's direction and ministry. Let's be sure, church, and this is all of our task. This is what we all should value, but let's be sure that, that seekers... People who want to know the truth, your next door neighbor, your friend at work, your classmate at school, let's be sure that seekers know that this place, this is not the church, but it's a place where the church gathers, and this place, let's let them know that this is, if I can use an old-fashioned phrase, this is a soul-saving station. This is a rescue mission, if you will. This is a place for people to come and find God through Jesus Christ. A place where freedom and forgiveness from God is offered and where it's practiced among us with each other. How else will we reach the world? In a culture that's moving farther away from God, we'll endeavor to be countercultural without being obnoxious. You know, there's some some religious groups that can be obnoxious. Do you know what I mean? You know what I find obnoxious? And if you've done this, I don't mean to, and I'm not thinking of anybody in this room, 
But if you've done this, I don't mean, I'm not picking on you. But I find obnoxious on Facebook when people post these little cute little phrases and pictures and say, if you love Jesus, share this. And I want to say, there's more important things and better ways for me to share Jesus than clicking on your little picture so you've got 5,000 likes. Don't send those to me. Now, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go home today, and you're going to find all those things you can that says, if you love Jesus... You know, and the ones that really I find obnoxious are the ones that say, and 97% of you won't share this. And I want to go, yeah, and I'm one of the 97%. But obnoxious, you know, we don't have to be obnoxious in our, in our faith. But we have to be countercultural. When we see the culture being anti-Christ, Nags Head Church will call it out as such. That goes back to speaking the truth, doesn't it? The world needs to hear the truth. The world doesn't always want to hear the truth. The world doesn't, certainly doesn't agree with much of the truth. But the world needs to hear the truth of God's word and we'll call it out when we see the world saying and doing anti-Christ things. Sin by the way, sin is self-condemning. Do you know that? Well, you know, read John 3. You know, after John 3, 16, keep on reading. Sin is self-condemning. What do you mean by that? The world that doesn't know Christ doesn't need our condemnation. They're already condemned in themselves. What they need is to learn how to be liberated, freed, forgiven from that condemnation. Another thing we'll do is we'll dare to be different and take the message of Christ anywhere we're invited. Anywhere we're invited. I, you know, I just believe if, if it doesn't matter who asks me to come and say a prayer at some event or asks me to come and speak and present the Christian view on something, I don't care who the group is. If I'm invited to come and speak the name of Christ somewhere, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and speak the name of Christ. <laughs> they might throw stuff at me, you know. They might boo me. They might kick me out. They might say, don't ever invite him again. But if we're invited, and that's not just me, that's you as well. If you're invited into a home and somebody asks you about your faith, speak the truth in love. And wherever we're invited, let's be Missionaries, let's share the word of God. While we want people to know that they can find Christ here, this soul-saving station, the truth is we have to be taking Christ everywhere we go. Jesus said, he used the parable, he says, look, we've got to go out into the highways and hedges, out and away from the security of our spiritual home, from the security of our togetherness, as we're scattered abroad in the world this week, we need to be inviting others to the feast to come and share in what Christ has done. Another way we'll reach the world is we'll build relationships with those seeking something other than religion and those rejected by religion. But please hear me, the second part of this is very important. We will not compromise our core beliefs to do so. We'll build relationships with them who are seeking something other than religion, those rejected by religion, but we will not compromise our core beliefs to do so. Being relevant in our outreach, which we believe that's something we need to be in this generation, does not mean watering down our faith. Jesus ate, and he was roundly criticized for this. He ate and drank with sinners. There he is, the Pharisees peering through the windows, and there's Jesus sitting at the table eating and drinking, having a meal with the tax collectors and the sinners, the prostitutes, the, the dealers, the thieves, whoever they might have been, the liars, the deceivers, the people that were the outcasts by the religious crowd. Jesus was there eating and drinking with them. He was building relationships. He was building bridges. But guess what? Jesus did not become from his time with them. He did not become one of them, did he? 
didn't compromise who he was. He didn't say, to reach you, I'll become you. He said, I'm going to reach you so that you can become like me, so that you can be forgiven, so you can be holy, so that you can be made righteous by God, so that you can be free from guilt. He built relationships with the outcasts. And our task is to be like Christ, to be conformed to his his image, Paul wrote, and that means we can do the same by inviting others and building bridges and relationships with others and help them to get to know him. Another thing we'll value here this year is we'll seek to be more organic in our ministries and missions. Letting grassroots movements within our church take flight to reach people to discover life in Christ. What do you mean by organic? Organic means natural. Listen, the same, I think sometimes our church gets the idea that God only speaks to Rick, you know? Or God only speaks to the elders. God only gives those guys on the staff the ideas that we, from which spring what we do here at Nags Head Church. That should not be the case. And we're going to value this year your creativity. And we want to see natural, the, here's, here's the deal. The same Holy Spirit who indwells me, indwells you. I'm no different than you in that regard. Not, not at all. And because God is creative, how do you know that? Well, the very first verse in the Bible tells us God's creative, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's creative. And because God is creative in nature, he loves, I believe he loves to use his children, you and me and us, to be creative together in how we accomplish his purposes. God gives great freedom in some things. Encouraging creativity, by the way, it's not a free-for-all that we're proposing, that I'm suggesting, because cre- encouraging creativity doesn't mean eliminating boundaries and safety nets. But certainly, I would love, we would love to hear your God-given ideas. By the way, that's a good boundary that's God-given. God-given ideas, God-birthed ideas in your heart, and then go see you take that idea and reach your world. And then to reach this world, we're going to be kingdom-minded. Cooperating with other like-minded congregations to advance the cause of Christ. Not just saying, look, it's us four and no more. Only our corner of the, the market, the kingdom. You know, I've never seen a growing church that thought they were the only true church. <laughs> and there are some that think that. They may not say it out loud, but that's what they think. I I thank God that there are other churches in our community and some in other denominations than our own own, that are on the team, who are on the same team. Now, not every church is on the team. Please don't misunderstand me. Other like-minded churches who believe the gospel, who believe the word of God. Recently, two churches locally here in our community suffered loss from flood and from fire. And Nags Head Church opened our doors to those churches because they had no facility to use. We said, look, here, we got this building here and it's not used all the time. If it's not being used, you're welcome to come and use it for whatever you need. And and those churches, you know, one of them is still using our building. You might drive by on a Tuesday night and there's a whole mess of cars out there and you know, what's going on? So nobody told me about the meeting. Well, it's not our church. In fact, they don't even speak English. But they're using our facility to do as, uh, to meet the needs of their congregation. And, and one, of the, one of the pastors, one of these churches, and I don't say this to pat, I'm not saying this to pat ourselves on our backs, okay? But he, and I think, because I think uh, so many churches, we miss this kingdom-minded thing. But one, one pastor said, you know, Rick, Nagsa Church is the only church that offered to help us with a place to meet. Of all the churches in this community, I thought, Wow. I would hope that church, if I would hope that if we were in need, that another church or other churches would reach out to us. And we're supposed to do as we would have them do. 
Let's be friends with the friends of Jesus and be known for it. Then lastly, we're going to challenge our youth and young adults to consider missions in their future. We'll challenge the older adults to do the same, but I'm especially thinking of our young people. Probably the single thing that I'm most excited about in the years that I've been here in this church is that the fact that we have... From this congregation, we have, and we're not a large church, we're less than 200 partners in this church, but from this congregation, we have five families who are full-time missionaries from this church. I can remember we didn't have any. And we said this is part, in 1996, we said this is part of our vision to teach and promote missions with the idea that from within our congregation, we will go. And God began to honor that vision. But some of our missionaries are getting old. (laughs) We have some young ones out there, but some of them are getting older. And we want to continue to encourage our young people, adults and and youth, about missions. Later this month, by the way, we're going to have two of our global team couples here to visit. The Bensons are going to be here from Honduras next Sunday and be in here with us sharing. And then the following Sunday, some of you have never met, the Bensons are usually with us every year, but some of you have never met Don and Mary DeHart. And they're going to be with us two weeks from today. They are missionaries to Native Americans in Canada, veteran missionaries. I mean, they're approaching retirement age. And somebody needs to go and take their place. Maybe you. My hope and prayer for is for more of us, whether we go as short-termers on a week-long trip, as some are doing in Honduras later this month, or we go to give our lives full-time to missions, that we will still be focused on the Great Commission as a congregation. Love God, love people, reach the world. Those are the things that we treasure And may God lead us, Nag said church, to live by those values. So I ask yourself before we pray this question, am I all in? Are these my values? God, if they're not, would you put in my heart a love for these things? Heavenly Father, this is your day. We give it to you. These are the things, Father, that we value because they're things that we see in your word. And Father, we ask that you'll keep them ever before us, that we will not stray, and that you'll help us accomplish these things according to your glory and and to honor you in 2013. Help us to all be in on this adventure together. In Jesus' name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.